Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. This episode, as always, was brought to you by 420 Australia, your premier lifestyle company, as well as Johnston Genetics, makers of awesome strains such as the Grandma's Sugar Cookies and the newly released Ron Swanson Kush. In this episode, we're joined by Johnny of Johnston Genetics, who fills us in on some of the details around Johnston Genetics, as well as some of his plans for the future and much more. So here we go. Okie dokie. So a big welcome to our guest, Johnny from Johnston's Genetics, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. How's it going? Pretty good. So we'll good. just jump straight into it. So awesome. the first question I like to ask everyone Growing up, what were some of the reasons you decided to get into cannabis and what was your first experience with it? Was it with some friends? Was it with your uncle in the backyard? Wow. Um, that goes way back. Um, I got into the cannabis industry at a young age. Um, I, earlier than 13, I don't remember my exact age. Uh, started smoking, just hanging out with friends as everyone did. Uh, it was... Uh, known to me, that's what my dad did, uh, growing up, you know, so I w- it wasn't anything new to me. I wasn't doing it to rebel. Um, but that was kind of the original, uh, uh, time of whenever I had my first instance with marijuana, uh, just hanging out with friends, busted out a, a joint. And so I was just like, yeah, let's go for it. And, uh, I fell in love immediately. Uh, I think I have kind of a hyper mind and it settled me, settled me down. Um, and that, that was just amazing for me. It, literally at that moment, that joint was life changing for me. Yeah. And so when you first started growing, what were some of the first strains you were growing? You mentioned that your, your dad was already doing it. So did he have kind of like a, a library already or were you guys kind of trialing out breeders at the time? And if so, you know, who were some of the breeders around at that time, you know, like when your dad was doing it or were there no breeders yet? Um, there were breeders, but not in our local area. Uh, we were kind of, it's, it was extremely underground. Uh, we started in Oklahoma, which is a completely no tolerance state, uh, zero tolerance. And so breeding was not really talked about amongst groups of people. Uh, it was done basically back then as a necessity to have the next round of seeds to grow for the next year. Um, and we basically had a, a lot of our, more, my dad had a lot of his old stuff, um, that I, I don't know all of the exact sources and stuff, but he's, he's acquired them over the years. Uh, and whenever I first started, he didn't give me anything. It, it was me, uh, starting out on my own. I, I didn't exactly have like a, a free gift of genetics from him. Uh, but later on I did. Uh, let's see, but he, he picked up seeds from all over. He picked up seeds from Africa, a lot from Africa. He spent 12 years in Africa. Um, so yeah, all over. Uh, and then in middle East, he, he, it was basically, that was the real two main locations he acquired from. And then some through some South American travel, but, uh, he, he spent 12 years in the middle East and Africa. Uh, so that's where a lot of, uh, my influence comes from is what his kind of choices, what growing, uh, growing up that I watched. 
That's incredible. So did he kind of work these lines out himself or were they just kind of run as they were and um, probably would have been pretty game changer to have Afghan seeds at that time, right? I mean, I'm imagining this was probably 20, 30 years ago. Correct, yes. Uh, yeah, that's one of our biggest, uh, I guess you could say, staples that I have in, in the storage vault is uh, uh, old school Afghan. Um and that's I'm going to be breaking that out very soon uh, for my next breeding projects in the next six months or so, I think. Um, but it basically, when he started the seeds, they were uh, uh, just land race. Uh, essentially, they had, he had just brought them back, started, and then we would just have to, like, uh, it would be each year the best that would be selected. We'd keep uh, the seeds that we ran from it, and then every year we'd progress with it. Yep. So, I mean, what what generation do you think they would be at? Just, you know, like, since he's had them, probably like, you know, F20 or something, or they won't work that much? No, I don't know. Uh, he's, his health isn't very good anymore. He's, he's no longer uh, doing anything himself. Uh, but when he stopped, they would have probably been uh, in the teens, possibly, uh, at least. Uh, we, we don't always grow the exact same thing every single year, but uh, we make sure to uh, get seed stock of of most things for the next year. Um, and that's kind of where that love of that and watching things progress, change, uh, watching the genetics uh, mix with each other. And, you know, from a young age, that's what inspired me to want to start doing this. Uh, then with the, switch of legalization here that kind of just gave me the kick in the ass to get it going yeah so it sounds like you were pretty self-sufficient for quite a while at what point did you decide to bring in kind of you know some foreign genetics so to speak maybe some clones from some other people or you know you bought some seeds from some other people or was it really just working with your own stock until then well i felt like uh a lot of stuff, I don't always just smoke what I grow, uh, and I smoke things from other breeders. I, I've probably smoked something from every breeder out there, uh, but I have my favorites, and my favorite smokes, uh, I, as a tip of the hat, kind of respect to the breeders that did breed some of the genetics I've used. Uh, that's the main reason. Like, I, I, If they bred something that I you know, fall in love with, uh, I'll probably be throwing something of mine that I think would work out well with it. You know, uh, genetics come into it. It's mostly a, a show of respect to, to the other readers. Yeah. Okay. Um, the work that they put in, but, and that really started, uh, around the legalization time for here, maybe a, a year or two before that, you know, cause medically here, it's been, you know, quite open for a long time. So, uh, I've been working with other genetics for a while, I guess I could say. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about some of your strains because, um, in my opinion, almost all of them use uh, what I would call like a unique strain in that like one of the parents is not used by really any other breeders. So we'll start off with what I assume is probably the main stud in your garden, the black sugar berry. I've, I've found at least eight or ten or so crosses that use it as the male. It's obviously pretty good in your opinion, but there's not right. a lot of info on it online, you know. How would you describe it to someone who is interested, you know? Like, what's your sales pitch for the black sugar berry as a male? 
Wow, that one came out. It was pretty underground when it came out. That's why there wasn't a whole lot of info uh, out there, I guess you could say. Um, it, but it's it's big winning uh, traits are, uh, for the most part, just nice size colas. Uh, good purple hues with a, a good, even uh, base flavor, I guess you could say. Um, it's... It's just an all-around real winner, in my opinion, uh, as far as, like, production, I guess you could say. And so I, that was my main uh, focus was to use that larger bud pattern uh, to add into some of my other favorite uh, genetics to see um, if I could push that purple into them. It really was one of my big uh, pushes, which a lot of them did take. So another line that I, I think is really interesting of yours is the Packy Valley line. And as far as I know, I mean, I'm probably wrong, but I can only off the top of my head think of you and two other breeders who have done a similar project where basically they they work the one line out in multiple different directions, you know, like multiple different phenotypes. And right. I was wondering, what's the inspiration behind this? You know, was it like a pre-planned idea or was it just like a happy mistake where, you know, maybe you pop the first... F1s and you found that there were two fairly different phenotypes and both were standout or did you have a plan from the start and you, you knew the Packy Valley was something that was going to be worth digging into? Well, it really happened, uh, I guess you could call it the happy mistake. I uh, I ran into two phenos that when I was, you know, selecting down to my, always I'd select down to my best and that's what makes it to the next generation uh, for breeding. That when I came down to making that choice, I just couldn't decide between two, uh, and I out of I couldn't throw one away. I couldn't do it, and so I just went the two routes with. It. I went number one and number two, or the magenta and the white, as a lot of people call them. Yeah, but, and how would you yeah. describe the two different lines? I've I've been able to find some information that says you know um I believe it was the magenta is a, you describe it as a little bit more of a medicinal line. Um, but yeah, how would you describe the two lines and how they differ from each other? Um, yeah, the, the magenta would be more along the, uh, I don't know how you'd explain it. Medicating, uh, it was more heavy in the medicating feel like, uh, heavy indica effect, I guess you could call it. Um, it, it really would sit you in your seat. Uh, the, the white was a little more on the brighter flavor note and uh, not quite so uh, couch-locky. Um, and so the the experience of the smoke between the two just was completely different to me, and as was the flavor profiles. So I just went ahead and split them up and kept running with them. That's, uh, that was my real basis for keeping two yeah. going because it was a hard decision to get rid of one or not. Yeah, painstaking choices. Um, yeah. So I've actually had a lot. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. Keep going, please. I was going to say, I've actually had a lot of people uh, send thank you emails saying that they've ran uh, both and they they appreciated the flavor effect of one more than the other. And they said, thank you for giving them the option of both. You know, so, I, you know, because at first I was kind of a self battle whether I was going to do that or not. I think it was a good choice. I think it's it's something unique and something that needs to be done more, you know? And I yeah, I, I definitely agree that um 
well, at least in, in my mind, it seems like, you know, there's this seesaw, so to speak, of breeding. And, you know, and in my mind, there's kind of like flavor on one end of it and yield and potency on the other, you know. And I, I always tend to think, you know, you're always kind of trying to balance it out. So why try to hit both if you can make two that kind of sit well at either end? Right, right. Um, exactly. So, so that brings up kind of my next question, a little bit tied into that. Um, on uh, the pro, uh, the website uh, strainfinder.com or seedfinder, um, basically it says that the packy you run was from World of Seeds. Um, I was wondering, first of all, is that true? Because that seemed a little odd to me. Um, and then two... How does a, a site like that interact with a breeder? Do they request the information from you? Because I've found that like a lot of their stuff is wrong. So I tend to think that maybe they scout the information themselves and that's why the errors are there or? I, I think they do. Um, they have touched base with me on a couple of my things because kind of as you say, I, I have a, a several things that are very underground, not much info on. Uh, so they have touched base with me on a few things. Uh, but... And and the, actually, the the world of seeds deal is correct. Um, I I did have uh, a good amount of world of seeds Packy Valley that was uh, gifted to me, and I ran a good number of them, uh, and I found a, a couple that I liked. Um, that's where that comes from, um, and I I believe so. That was a, a couple years ago, but I but I do believe it was world of seeds. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually had some all right success with World of Seeds myself, but I've heard some conflicting reports. But I, I also just thought, given what you said earlier about the uh, the Afghan land race stuff, maybe it had been stuff your dad had maybe collected. No, no, it is not. I don't, I don't want to uh, uh, take credit from them. It was, I, and I will say, uh, in all honesty, I ran a good number of seeds to find the ones that I found. Um, it, had I just had like a 10 pack and popped them, I probably would have came out with a complaint. Uh, but I ran more than that. And I, but I did find, uh, what I consider to be some good winners. So it's, you know, with numbers, you'll, you'll find winners. Yeah, like, yeah for sure. Yeah. So, um, on to what I think is maybe kind of your new main breeding project, the Pine Tar Kush. Um, oh, sorry, that was, it was used in the making of the Ron Swanson. So, uh, back yes. to the start. The Pine Tar Kush was made by Tom Hill. Um, this is a strain which has actually been quite in demand for a while. A lot of people have been calling for its resurgence. Was that part of the inspiration for you working it into the Ron Swanson line? Like, did you think to yourself... I'm going to make this new strain and I want the pine tar kush to be a part of it because there's certain traits that I'm looking to put into this new stud, for example. Well, there, I wasn't uh, aware that there was a very much of a movement going on with it. I, it was a favorite of mine. Uh, I had been growing it for a couple years just for personal smoke. Um, and I, at some point I just decided, Hey, and I, well, I started running it outdoors uh, instead of indoors, and I was getting some very large plants, um, nine, ten feet tall on average, and you know several feet around. Uh, and so I wanted to take it. Uh, it had a full bushiness where you know it bud all the way down the branch, uh, yeah. very tight. And so I I wanted to take it with uh, a couple of my other strains, and I, I did several breedings with it. Only a couple were released. Um, but 
I I just really enjoyed it personally as a smoke, and it was one of my kind of personal pushes in my genetics. Uh, I do about 50-50, half of what I would like to see bred and half of kind of what I feel like the industry would like to see bred. Um, so it's kind of a, a balance. I don't, I don't like forcing people upon only what the strains that I would like to smoke. Uh, so I try to give a good variance, I guess. Yeah. And so in your mind, did you just kind of think that the black sugar berry, given how you mentioned earlier that it, it, um, it adds those nice colas, did you think that would just kind of complement the pine tar or was it for different reasons you chose the black sugar berry to mate with it? Yeah, I was, I was trying to make a super plant. the the way that the pine tar grew for me uh consistently for a couple years uh and my love for the black sugarberry i i knew that they would work well together um i just didn't intend to i guess i didn't know that i would like the ron swanson as much as i did uh it turned out to be a long-term personal favorite of mine yeah, how would you describe that to anyone who is interested in just the pure Ron Swanson? Um, Ron Swanson by itself, it it tends to grow very much like the pine tar um, with a heavier lemon-lime influence. Uh, it's Whereas my, the, the fennel I was running of the pine tar was very floral. Um, it had a, I don't, I don't, you know, you understand floral flavor yeah. palette, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Very, very floral. And so it kind of shocked me that it came out so lemon, lemon lime, uh, being bred with the black sugarberry. Uh, but it, it translates real well, pure Ron Swanson. And if you ever run live resin, mm-hmm. it's one of the most flavorful live resins I've ever smoked. No, also that, tip. yeah. So, but, um, in the case of maybe the Ron Swanson or just uh, any any of your own projects where you feel they really stand out, have you ever considered the idea of maybe doing like a, a deeper breeding project, maybe maybe a, a back cross or taking something to the F2, F3? Or do you think that a lot of your strains are kind of more suited as F1s? Um, well, actually, I don't post a lot of my old breeding, but most of my stuff when it's released as F2 or F3, um, the, there are, there have been a few that have been F1, uh, breedings, but, uh, for the most part, they are F2 or F3s. Um, I am actually about to start an F1, uh, only project that will allow people with a wider variety of options, you know, like that kind of lottery ticket seed yeah. as some refer to it. Um, but they would be sold at a discounted rate. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to get people that where they can feel like they have something that's a little more special than other people may have. Like that's what, the whole reason I do the limited edition. I could run a lot more seeds and sell a lot more seeds, but um, I think when you know people can trade cuts of something that's a little rarer, I think that adds a little more. Uh, I don't know prestige to the strains themselves for e- every breeder. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can look at examples from, say, uh, the Brothers Grimm with uh, Apollo 11 and 13, where, you know, I think they're pretty good examples of how, you know, the limited stock has kind of added to the uh, the mystique of them. Um, right. That, it's interesting you say that about how they're F2s. Do you, do you choose to not 
list on because you know like a lot of companies will say you know these are f2s i've never seen that on energy any of your packaging do you do you purposely right. choose not to do that um i just i guess i've never uh <laughs> considered it i'm i'm fairly old school uh i have i have designers that do most of the packaging design for me and stuff and i basically send them a list of uh what i want on there and that never has been a part of uh, what I've sent them. Um, I am going to be redoing my packaging soon, though, uh, which would probably include what uh, generation it would be. Yeah, I think uh, it would be it'd be cool to include that because um, it kind of makes sense that you said they were F twos, F threes. Because I've always noticed, you know, a lot of consistency um, with your stock. I guess the next question would be though, in terms of that limited edition and lim- limited releases. Back to one of my favorite strains from you, the it's it's such a mouthful, the, the Granddaddy Platinum Pertberry Cookies. This is one that came out initially, and then I, I've seen it on one other seed bank since then, but as you said, you don't really restock it too much. When we see this with your strains, is that due to the fact that, yeah, you are just pretty much following that limited edition route, or uh, maybe some of them you just later on decided, oh, look, that strain doesn't really stand up to some of the others we've got now. I'm not going to redo it for that reason. It, it's a mixture of both, actually. Um, it gives me, it doesn't lock me into something that I don't feel confident about breeding in the future. Um, yep. if, if people like it, then they had a chance to get it while it was limited edition. Uh, but it also gives me time and room to work on something new. Uh, but along with this F1 line that I'll be coming out with in the near future, I'm also going to be coming out with a classics line, uh, which will be the Granddaddy Platinum Perkberry cookies, Grandma Sugar cookies, and a few other uh, strains that have been requested heavily uh, for returns. Um, so I, those will be coming back out, um, and that's part. You know, th- then those will be less of a limited edition release. Uh, they'll still be numbered. Uh, as of right now, I limit everything, no matter. Uh, no matter the strain, I, I won't sell more than 250 packs of a strain. Um, on the classic line and the F1 line, I will probably both allow those to be 500 packs maximum. So they'll still be limited, uh, just not quite as limited. Yeah, a little more available for maybe the people who are after it. Right, and that's that's part of my, my plan is, you know, there's certain people that want, uh, say, Granddaddy Platinum Perkberry Cookies, a known and trusted strain. Uh, but it's not available to, uh, you know, but it, it, it'll be in the future within the year, probably I'll, I'll be dropping and actually another drop of those. Yeah. Fantastic. So, um, moving on, you've got your CBD diesel and this is kind of a broader topic I wanted to talk about when you were creating your CBD diesel, obviously you were probably thinking something along the lines of, I would like to make a CBD strain. Um, what type of lab testing goes into the making of a CBD strain? Or if there wasn't any, how much kind of testing on the bud itself do you have to do? Because I've, as much as people might kind of cringe at this idea, I have spoken to a breeder before who said they didn't use a lot of lab testing to make their CBD strain. Like they did at the very last step, but up until that point, they had just gone on kind of, you know, anecdotal um, results from people of, you know, what what is the most medicinal in your opinion? And they said that they kind of got to a good point using that method. 
but a lot of people would kind of disagree and say, no, you should be using lab tests every step of the way, you know. How did your project work, you know? What kind of side of that argument do you fall on? Um, I don't ha- really have an argument there, but I do know where I lie as in the testing I have for myself. I I run final stage uh, tested flower product, um, but I start with known genetics. Uh, I work with a few dispensaries here that we're trying to put out, you know, medicine for the patients. And they give me a cut of something that they have that they know it, what it tests at. And then I work with it to alter it, change it for what we want, and then uh, send it back to be tested, uh, you know, multiple batches uh, to find out which pheno. And then we keep progressing on from there. Um, I've actually been working with uh, a, a guy here in town. I don't know if he wants me to call him out by name, and I don't have permission yet, so I'm not going to. But uh, he's got an extremely high uh, CBD, extremely low THC uh, cut of uh, canatonic that I'm working with um, that I really think is going to put out some good medicine for the patients. Nice. And so, nice, sorry. Um, And so what's your kind of um, your dream for your CBD lines? Do you just want to make a really good CBD strain and kind of leave it there for people to do what they want with it? Or are you thinking... No, there's a specific kind of illness I'm actually looking to target, so I might refine it towards that, for example. Well, um, I, I'm actually, the reason I wanted to get into it, and if, if I had my dream uh, come true, I'd be able to come up with a, an amazing CBD strain or multiple strains, some high THCV strains, something uh, that will be free to, to anyone that needs it. Uh, any dispensary that wants to provide it to a patient, any grower that wants to grow it for themselves. Uh, that's the true medicine side of the industry. And I don't want to be a pharmaceutical company ever. Uh, I, I want to be a, a helper of people. Uh, so if that could ever be free to the people, whether it's from me or other growers or whoever, that would that would be my dream for the CBD field. Um, my CBD projects as of now have basically been to start my working in it and kind of inspire some of the other people around me that, Hey, you know, we're not after, you know, 35% THC, uh, that can be a, a goal, but there's other stuff that you can be doing also. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, your, your Mayday OG, this is an interesting one to me because a few people have done a similar route to you where they decide to leave one of the parents, um, kind of non-documented you know like they're, they're not going to fully release the details of it what right. in your mind is uh the reason for doing this it obviously adds a bit of mystique you know i think in my mind the first person who comes to mind is you know the cookie fan with the girl scout cookies that's probably the most notable one where we don't know the full genetics do you think right. that it's a little bit of a marketing move and if so i think it's a good one um but is it maybe something else for you? Maybe maybe you don't quite know the father? What, what's the reason for that? No, it's actually like kind of a, it was a marketing move, but in a way that you wouldn't think. Um, there have been several genetics that have been uh, swindled from me, I'll call it. I won't call people thieves on that. but um, And I don't want them getting the credit locally to me. Uh, so I just, I sometimes keep th- certain things secret to not blow up the strain that they're holding. Um, okay. 
so it's the it's not for my marketing it's for like anti-marketing to the people who have my strains that shouldn't have them uh, uh. for certain I have a few ones that i didn't want out there and they're out there so i just don't give them the credit so they don't you know yeah <laughs> And so that kind of brings us to an interesting point. What is your thoughts on sharing of genetics? And I guess more specifically, for someone who buys your genetics, maybe even a future breeder, what what would be your kind of uh, your protocol or your you know your recommendation for them for using yours or someone else's strain? Do you think that as long as they ask you first, you know, like, hey, I'm going to make this strain, I'd like to use this, that's fine with you? Or do you think, no, nah, they don't even need to ask or... You know, what's your thoughts on it? I think asking is polite, uh, but people are going to do what they want to do. And as far as like, I, I was going to be uh, kind of a smart ass and answer your, your protocol call question. All they got to do is put it in the ground. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <they> gotta, <laughs> that's all they have to do. Uh, like I said, asking's polite. I appreciate it when people ask me and I feel honored when somebody feels like breeding with my stock. Um, I'm never pissed about it. That's, you know, there, there's nothing but love in the industry. It's a plant. Uh, we're all just working to try to make it better. Yeah. And so I've spoken to um, another breeder before and they said, uh, I, I think that people should should try to make it their own in a way. You know, like if you're going to breed with my work, take it to the F2 first and try to refine a characteristic you like about it first. And then you've got more of a claim to say that, you know, like this is my strain. I've actually done, you know, like take it to the F2 and then use it to make your new strain. How do you feel about that? Or do you think like, no, nah, if someone just wants to use my strain straight from the generation they get it, I'm okay with that. No, I, I agree with what you said. Uh, I think putting work into it is, is part of paying the dues and calling yourself a breeder. Uh, if you just throw pollen on a plant, you successfully bred something, um, but I wouldn't call that breeding yet. Uh, you know, put in a little, put in a few grows, get it stabilized a little bit in what direction you want, and then let people know about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so people shouldn't announce the the new best breeder in the world when they've made their first F one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm sure no, that no, must no. get on the mind of a lot of breeders. It must be really annoying. Yeah. Yeah, there, it happens a lot, and nowadays just more, more than ever. Um, I I remember when you could count the breeders out there on two hands. You know, uh, now there's you need pages on the internet to list the breeders. Yeah. So how do you? Uh, oh, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you um, manage to kind of stay relevant in the industry? In your mind, do you just? take the approach of I'll let my work speak for itself or do you feel that as you kind of reference, there are just so many people, breeders at least, um, it's kind of hard to get lost in the sea of, you know, marketing almost. What do you think is required these days for a breeder? Do you think, you know, as you mentioned before the interview, do you think having a social media presence is like a good or a bad thing or what do you think? I, these days in 2016, it's definitely a good thing. Um, I wish that I could be better at it. I'm kind of old school. Uh, I don't get on the internet much. I don't surf. Uh, I recently figured out what a meme was. Um, <laughs> so I'm not real big on the internet stuff. Uh, but I, and I'm going to work on at it. Like that's something that I owe to the the other growers, the people that want knowledge about my strains, 
you know, connect with the fan base. Uh, I, I've got to get better at it. Um, posting pictures is not that hard. Uh, and, and answering people's questions is not that hard. So I, I'm going to get better at it. But in this day and time, it is, it's almost a necessity. Uh, I could probably, I'm not here for money or fame or anything like that. I'm, I'm here uh, as a behind the scenes breeder that is, you know, doing the real work as, in my mind uh, to get this industry headed towards, towards a, even more positive progression. Yeah. So do you like to go to, you know, like the cups and the events and to meet the guests or do you think, oh, that's something I'd like to do, but I don't do it quite yet? No, I I go. Um, We've we've had a couple booths uh, at the cups. I I haven't competed yet. Um, I don't know, call it nerves or uh, not wanting to be, disappointed but i haven't competed yet uh so i'm I'm hoping that whenever i throw something in i'll get a cut my first go around but i highly doubt that uh that would make me feel good though yeah <laughs> but I, I, I sorry enjoy meeting the oh no you're good uh, i enjoy meeting the fans the customers the growers uh people that come up to the booth and don't buy anything and talk for 20 minutes that's some of my favorite people um I'm not there for sales. I'm there to meet people and hang out with people with like minds, you know? Yeah, for sure. I've actually, I was going to say, I've spoken to, um, uh, similarly, uh, in, in these stories, they're all the same breeder. I just don't have a, their name to give out, but, um, they, they were saying that winning a, a cup as a breeder is not the be all end all because, you know, like the, the cut that wins a cup, it, it could just be like a one in a million. Like that strain could be garbage overall, but like that one bean was really good. You know what I mean? Definitely. So I think yeah, they were kind I, of saying as a breeder, yeah, it's it's not the biggest reflection of your skills as a breeder. That, definitely. I, that's why I haven't competed or at least to a small extent. Uh, I want to pay my dues in the industry. A lot of people are like, who's this new guy? Um, we're not actually that new. We're just new to the mainstream scene, I guess you could say. Um, we're pretty leery. Like I said, we came from a, a zero tolerance state and, you know, over a decade ago though, I moved to uh, Colorado and that's kind of opened my mind and opened the doors, uh, to this. Yeah. But, so what was, um, what was it like to transition to a full-time breeder as your job, especially, I guess, when it, when you're in that legal environment, you know, was there like kind of a defining moment where you just thought, yep, now is the time, this is what I want to do, or did, did you just kind of stumble into it? There, there was, uh, well, I guess it's a mixture of both. I've, I've always bred, I remember breeding, uh, my first personal, like for me growing, uh, I probably like 18 years old. I started, um, I'm now 34. Um, but that was when I started off on my own. Uh, sorry, I'm smoking a blunt right now and I totally got sidetracked. (laughs) Go for it. Basically in between, uh, working, I decided, Hey, I could start now and start putting my full attention to this and really kind of make something, not even for myself. I figured, you know, it could be something for my children as as the U.S. kind of started changing its laws and things started opening up. I, I figured it might be good to 
put my name out there as like, Hey, you know, this is what we've been doing for a while. We're ready to announce it and be out in the industry with everyone else. There was a, a moment and that was basically when everyone's seen everything starting to come online. That was, I decided like, Hey, it's just time to put your name out there. And, and then, and I was going through a lot of flack from family, from friends. Everyone was like, man, you're going to get arrested. <laughs> I said, you know, somebody's got to do it. We got to let everyone know this is the, you know, what we got to do. Yeah. And have you ever had any um, run-ins with the law after that point? Like after the, you know, like the, it kind of looked like things were becoming less and less uh, strict, so to speak? No, I've, I've not had any uh, altercations or issues at all. Um, and where I'm at locally, though, things are pretty relaxed uh colorado's very relaxed on the marijuana scene so as long as you mind your p's and q's and do what the state tells you to do there's you know nothing to fear yeah and so at the uh johnston farm are you guys organic or synthetic and what's your reasons behind that um well through at our at our location it's organic um but we do have other growers that grow by other means. Uh, everything from uh, everything from aeroponics, hydroponics, uh, and, and more. Uh, so I, I've seen my strains tested locally. You know, amongst my grower friends uh, before they hit the market, I see what they do on almost like every setup with every growing. Uh, feeding uh, schedule you could imagine almost and which one do you think um do your plants come out the best in or do you think it's a, maybe a grower by grower basis um i would probably say by grower basis i i recommend growers when they ask me what nutrient line to grow with uh, i ask them whatever they're comfortable with uh that's the main thing having experience with the line or knowing the line and knowing how to run it uh, that's going to give you the best success. I've seen amazing buds grown every method. Uh, my personal favorite is organic. Um, but yeah, in, in, including uh, insecticides, that no insecticides. Uh, my seeds, like even though they would be an expensive treat, uh, I welcome pe- people to pop a pack in their mouth and chew them up and eat them. They're quite healthy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the first time I've ever heard that. <laughs> well, you um, never know what do with them uh yeah you, you never well my uncle so. maintains his defense will always be that it's uh it's bird feed it is i actually years and years ago i started a thing uh, on a i think it was on a uk chat forum uh that i was on and i started something called operation bird drop and i was just promoting everyone to put their seeds, whatever spare seeds they had in their bird feeders. And, you know, if everyone did that, uh, could you imagine what the wild marijuana uh, population would be? Uh, yeah. You couldn't ha- you couldn't have something that was, uh, you couldn't make it illegal if it was on every street corner, literally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'd struggle. It, it works. It works. I had uh, pot plants all up and down my neighborhood. <laughs> cool. Um, so just going back to that point you made about, you know, no insecticides, keeping it nice and healthy. Have you ever noticed, um, a difference in the quality of seeds 
produced from a plant that is, say, treated, you know, organically, really healthy the way you do it versus, say, maybe one that's not grown with the same love, you know, not the same attention? Um, have you ever noticed that the seeds maybe from yours come out better or maybe worse than the other, you know, the less well-maintained plant? I, I have, uh, and I can't say specifically, but comparing my seeds, my average seeds, to a multitude of other uh, genetic company seeds, uh, I see a size difference. And that, to me, speaks for the health of the seed. You know, uh, a teeny, teeny, tiny seed that's not well-colored, to me, it, you know, it's just not as healthy as a big, fat, plump, you know, properly colored seed. And I don't know if that's coming from use of chemicals or not. I, that's why I can't really say. But I, I do see a size difference between mine and some other companies, not all other companies. Uh, there are definitely some good breeders out there. Yeah. So um, recently we've seen that there's a bit of a crowd mentality in terms of hating on Blue Dream. I'm sure you're pretty familiar with it. Um, yeah. What, what do you think about this? And what do you think about the idea of like, that sure it's blue dream hate today but like what will it be tomorrow and the reason why i ask is because you know you breed with the girl scout cookies and i'm a firm believer that one day girl scout cookies will be on that bandwagon with blue dream or maybe blue dream won't be on it anymore but you know what i mean people will be hating on it do you think that's already started (laughs) anything that gets real big uh starts to get too much positive attention someone out there is going to speak out and bring some negative attention towards it and then mob mentality, you know, somebody's always going to be there to jump on the bandwagon. That's really all it is, in my opinion. Yeah. So do you just kind of disregard that when you're breeding? And like, so like, I guess maybe the, the bigger question is, are you not scared to breed with certain strains based on maybe how they'll be perceived in the future? Or are you just like, nah, if it's good today, I'm going to use it? Yeah, not at all. I, I, the, the only things that I have like steered clear from are some some strains that have some kind of like outrageous name, names or kind of names that I wouldn't want to keep going. Uh, that's the the only thing I've stopped. Uh, not because of people's views on what the strain will be now or in the future, though. No. Okay, and by when you say the names of strains, you means like maybe the more um, hard drug referenced ones. Correct. Yeah. I don't want to name them out because I don't want to call no one out. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but, we all know what you're talking about. Yeah, I try to keep a positive vibe or, you know, or at least a not a negative vibe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, like the name with the strain carries a little bit of like, I, I don't want to call it karma, but, you know, it's the name associated with it. Uh, yeah. You yeah. don't want something to have that name. So how do you feel about people who make F1s giving the strains names before they've even kind of grown them out. I guess this maybe ties into a breeder type of question, but if you're a breeder and you make a new F1 and you're just giving it out to your friends straight away, you haven't even tested it yourself and you, you're giving it this, you know, some crazy, you know, purple spaceship or, you know, just some some crazy name or whatever. Do you think that that's like a bit of a misservice to the people who like have done the work? Like in my opinion, if you're just goofing around and you make an F1, I don't think you should really name it until you've like, you know, like I think a name should kind of reflect some of the characteristics of the strain. Like, do you think the same or do you think like, nah, you might just have a hunch before you've even grown it out and you know what I mean? No, I, de- 
I definitely agree. Um, especially like you made name something this cool ass name that, and now you put it paired with this stupid plant that you grew, uh, uh, and now that cool name's taken. You know, you should have saved that for a cooler plant. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So save the cool names. Wait till you know it's a legit plant, and then give it its badass name. So yeah. So if we looked at um uh, a typical Johnston breeding project, what would you list as in in and this might be a hard one in in order of priority? What are the traits you're breeding for? Do you do you value you know flavor as the utmost priority or potency or you know bag appeal? Like where how do you kind of rate these traits in terms of what you're aiming for? I always throw one in that my number one is one that I never hear anyone name uh it's structure the structure of the plant itself uh is my number one uh having a healthy plant body uh is my first that that's what i look for once once i have that i look for uh like you say that holy trinity of like flavor potency yield that's that's a hard one to balance. And those three obviously come right there in second, third, and fourth. Um, my favorite though would be taste. The flavor is number one for me. Uh, potency would be second and yield would be uh, third in that order of those three. Um, and so that's basically how I judge all of them. Now, certain strains, uh, they get restructured in that, in the priority order there. Yeah. Um, mostly for like medical stuff. And so as like a bit of a follow-up, do you think that kind of how I mentioned earlier with that kind of seesaw analogy, do you think you always are kind of trading off some traits for the other or do you think it is possible to kind of get that the trifecta in one or if you do, it's very much like a one in a million? Yes, you, you can You can find that perfect one uh, or what will be right then at that moment seem perfect. Uh but uh, for the most part, the plus percent of the time, it's a, a seesaw effect, as you say. You're, you're giving and taking. Um, but you will find every once in a while that one plant that just, uh, even amongst all its peers, it tastes better, yields better, you know, affects better, everything. Um, you will find some, but it's rare. Yeah. What type of testing do you like to do on a strain ideally? Like, if, what, you know, like what type of numbers would you ideally like to run before you're confident a strain can go to market? At least 100. Uh, at, le- at least 100. Um, sometimes uh, I don't get happy with my breeding project and I start over. Uh, I've, I've had to run things, you know, over and over, tr- redo my breeding to a different venue. Uh, and start over, throw the seeds away. I won't let them out. Uh, and so sometimes for one strain to get out there, it'll be a lot more than 100. It could be three or 400 that I've ran to get that strain going and out there. Yeah. And during this stage where you've got these nice big numbers, is that where you're also potentially looking to maybe find a male for future breeding projects or is that a, a different project and maybe even more numbers than 100? No, I, I do uh, in the hundred. I I look for both always of any plant, uh, any planting of any strain that I do. I look for a winter male and a winter female, or at least even a, a few. Uh, 
you know, but I'm sourcing down in the end result to one or two. Uh, but I, I do always search for the males while I'm running numbers with the females. Yeah. Separately. Once they're sexed separately, I don't want people to get confused. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so, What's it like for you as kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say a smaller breeder, but maybe as you, a lesser known breeder, what's it like for you to interact with the, the big seed banks? You know, obviously your gear is on attitude, which is really cool. How, what was that process like to get on there? Because a lot of breeders I speak to say it's actually harder than you'd think to get on there. So you seem to have gotten over that hurdle. What's it like for you to interact with the seed banks and the distributors and, you know, all of that behind the end of the seed business. In a short word, weird. Uh, it's all new to me, (laughs) but it's, it was, it all came real fast. I had, uh, started, uh, giving seeds away. Uh, like I said, I'm not, I wasn't ever there for the money. I didn't even expect to gain the attention that I did. Uh, I was just doing what I wanted to do and giving people seeds. And then people were asking me how to, how they buy my seeds, and I didn't have any avenues to send them to. Uh, I didn't even have any way. Uh, so I told them, well, if if there's a demand for it, hit your seed banks up and ask them to hit me up. And so in the end, uh, and quite quickly, actually, several seed banks, including Attitude, were contacting me saying, how do we carry your gear? Uh, and then I, we just, you know, we had to work out the business side of things, but well, as far as dealing with the distributors and stuff, they everyone contacted me. Awesome. So, yeah. what would be your advice for someone who's in a similar position to what you were before you were selling? Would you just say, yeah, just get your stuff out there, get a good name, and ask people to hit up the uh, the banks? Yeah, build. You know, uh, pay some dues first, get some credit to your name, uh, do the right thing. That's you know, number one. Don't don't be in there just to try to get on attitude to try to make some money and stuff because in my opinion karma will catch up it will you know things won't work out something will trip up along the way uh just do what you like doing if you if you really want to be a breeder because that's a uh long time consuming thing and you got to be very patient uh it's you know just stick with it, it you, if you put in the work the work will show and, you know people want to grow those seeds everybody else doesn't have the time to do uh, all that work to try to get, you know, quality seeds for other people to grow. Yeah, you know? exactly. Okay, okay. So just going back to one of the points um, we spoke about earlier, you mentioned that, you know, F1 seeds being the kind of, you know, this uh, lottery idea of a seed. A fairly well-known breeder made a statement at a, at a breeding panel a few years ago and basically said, uh, we make F1s because that's what the market dictates. That really sounds like it doesn't sound entirely true. Do you think that's the truth? Do you think people want F1s? Because I always say to people, you know, a, a clone only isn't three different phenotypes. It's just one, you know? So right. Yep. No, I agree 100%. Uh, stability is king. Uh, there is a place in the market for F1s now because people do want something different. And, and that's why I, I decided that here in the future, I'm going to be coming out with an F1 specific uh, line. Uh, Stability is king, though. You, the, the work that the breeders put in to, to make, you know, the strains come out 
the same. Uh, it's that's what really shows a breeder's skill uh, and uh, gives gets my appreciation. There, there's some breeders out there that have put in many years of hard work to to achieve the stability. So, so to say that only F ones is that all that people need that almost like discredits all the years of the, like the founding fathers of breeding. Yeah. And so what would be one of your uh, little tips or tricks you're willing to share for your selection? You know, when you're looking for a male, what's one of your go-to techniques? You know, a lot of people, they, they love to go to their stem rub. Um, what's, what's one of your tips for all our viewers on how to pick a good male? Wow. Um, the stem rub is, you know, classic, but in my opinion, also generic. Um, it's, I look for, like, it's hard to explain. I kind of, like, sense the plant and look at it. And I, I, I look at the plant as a whole. How is its flower production? Um, yeah, the, how is its flower production? Like, the density of its clusters, uh, the structure of the plant as a whole, uh, like, robustness of, of the individual branches uh i look for you know what you would picture in in a male of any breeding program of uh, other animals i look for a good stud a healthy uh big robust stud um for its uh strain profile um smells can be varied uh i i trust usually with what i'm working with i kind of know the smell profile with what i'm working with uh so i'm for my breedings, I'm looking at its structure a lot. Yeah, so kind of on an idea you just picked up on, is breeding a art or a science to you? You know, like like so, so, so to put it in you know the the most extreme terms, do you think a robot with a, a set of um, traits to look at would be able to breed as well as a human, or do you think no? There's always that that kind of that hunch, that vibe, which makes maybe a breeder the difference between a good and a great breeder. No, I don't think a robot would be able to come close. They would be able to grow uh, a plant, but they wouldn't have the same love connection where you could feel what what the plant needs, what the plant, you know, uh, it, you could see capabilities in plants that uh, a, a robot wouldn't be able to. Um, there's no connection. There's no love uh, with a machine like that. Um, I, I definitely feel a deep connection with all my plants. Uh, so I... I for me personally, it, it's a got a huge art form to it, or at least some form of connection between the grower or breeder, or, you know, the plant. Yeah. So, how do you feel about um, kind of these? I don't know. I don't think it's the case in America, but in Australia, for example, there's proposals of having these really big kind of, you know, um, almost like your tobacco conglomerates, like your Philip Morrison's would be the ones owning it and operating these big warehouses producing the medical weed for the Australian market. Do you think in that situation where you've, say, got, you know, one grower looking after a thousand plants, you know, obviously they can't give the love to each plant that you would be able to on a smaller scale. Do you think that that would really impact the uh, the quality or do you think that at the end of the day it may be a little bit, um, you know, like it's not going to impact it as much as you might think to to be looking after tons of plants and to not be able to give them that little bit of extra love. Well, I think when that starts, because it will start at some point, um, I think that the people that are doing it will have enough money to figure out the systems to run it well. Um, 
they won't have the connections with the plants because the numbers are there. It'll be a commercialized product. It won't be like uh, what is in Colorado right now. That's more like a craft product, like a micro brew of beers. Uh, theirs will be the, you know, the nat- natural light. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, um, so with the just kind of, you just spurred the idea, the natural light, you know, how do you feel indoor rates to outdoor in terms of the medicinal quality? You know, it's that time of the year where I, me personally, I'm seeing Instagram flooded with pictures of how outdoor is better than indoor, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't really right. care for the debate myself, but do you think it is just like a, a tit for tat thing or do you think there is a legitimate argument to be had everything has its pros and cons um with outdoor you you can have a longer season as far as uh one individual plant and have the a right amount of light and space for it to grow um but indoors you you can have a more isolated controlled environment and you can do things outdoors that you can't do uh so they both have their pros and cons um i do i appreciate both i i can't say that i like one better than the other i do a lot of work indoors um but i also have greenhouses so uh we we appreciate both it's you just have you have different perks and different downfalls for each one yeah yeah and so we often hear people talk about um this idea of how we've hybridized strains too far. We need to go back to our land race roots and we need to, you know, start fresh. This idea has been around for ages. Um, do you, and you, you kind of referenced earlier that you're going to do it yourself. Do you think the general mainstream will actually do it though? Like everyone always talks about it, but no one ever actually does it or so it seems. Do you think that we will just keep hybridizing? I think that it'll stay getting more and more hybridized. Uh, and then at some point the land races will be looked at as a prized possession. Um, I don't think that most, you know, the profitable breeding, uh, companies out there are looking at restarting with new land races and taking up parts of their growth for that. It's, I don't think it is that profitable. Um, but it's something I'm going to be doing and look forward to. Uh, I, I, Go eat. I'm old school. Like I said, I, I go back to my roots. I watch black and white movies all the time. Uh, so I have more appreciation for the old school. Uh, so I think uh, it'll be good to go back to the roots of some of the old genetics that I have and bring them back out. And a lot of people like some of the old school smokes. I get people all the time saying, you know, where's the old weed at? This stuff's too strong. <laughs> That's not it's not me personally, but some of the old timers say that. And, you know, the, why are we going to try to, you know, not grow for a certain group of people that still want something that used to bring them back to that era of thought? Yeah, well, I've actually thought about this topic a little bit myself. And I, on a personal note, think that um, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, the, uh, the, the brand TGA seeds, I think they are kind of um, filling that niche in a way because, I mean, it's my opinion and I think a lot of people's opinions that their weed isn't the most potent, but it's really flavorful. And so you can kind of, you know, like smoke a bit more of it without getting knocked about. 
And so I think it's interesting that we are seeing that the rise of, I think it is probably subconsciously in their case, but, um, you know, like breeders filling quite specific niches and maybe not even realizing it. Right. Um, and that's the way that, you know, everything works. Everything finds a way. Uh, every puzzle has its place or every puzzle piece has its place. Um, whether it knows it goes there or not. Uh, but as far as me, I, I try to make a lot of my moves and breeds, uh, intentional whether they all are come across that way i don't know but but i i try um and and on you'll see here soon because everything uh i will be breeding except for the f1 line everything will have an average uh percentages for its potency on the on the seed package uh because i'm gonna i'm doing everything is getting heavily tested now uh so You'll see some here in the future that will probably be lower percentage numbers, and that will be on purpose. That'll be in uh, in reminiscence of the old school strains because some of them aren't going to be that high, and I'm going to bring them up to what I can, but I'm not going to try to exclude the old school traits that they had. So, um, so you're stuck on sour is a new strain you've got, and that uses the sour diesel in it. What are some of the other, you know, clone only slash elite clones? You know, we spoke about the pine tar kush earlier. What are some of the other clones out there that you would love to work with um, in breeding projects? You know, like you consider them to be quite good and worth working with. Oh, well, um, that's a hard one. Uh, There's a few that my buddies have uh, that are just old, unknown genetics. They call them whatever, but they're not you know, anything known. They're just stuff they've ran for a long time. Yeah. Uh, there's a Cindy, Cindy 99 uh, clone locally that uh, I had for a moment and I didn't breed to it and I lost it. Oh, you know, you know how that goes, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but I never got around to breeding it and I'll, I'll still want to, so I'm going to get back to it. Um, and then there's a lime Chernobyl cut around locally that I'm about to start working with, hopefully. Uh, Slimer? The, what's that? Are you talking about Slimer? I don't know. I don't, I'm not real up to date on all the, uh, I think what, that's... what people are calling the Finos, like, you know. Yeah, the other uh, name for it is the Golden Ticket Fino. I think, yep, that's what they called it, the Golden Ticket. Yeah, So, yeah. I've worked with it in the past. Uh, I have the seed stock that I used when I worked with it, and I'm going to try to get it back again and do some more work with it so I can stabilize something i like and get it out to the public because uh, I, I like that one a lot yeah for sure so yeah. um you know just having mentioned the cindy 99 before being friends with duke um that made me realize um who's who's a breeder you would like to do a collaboration with um and do something with them as opposed to just you know buy a packet and go from there right well i mean I have, I guess you'd call them heroes. I have so many heroes in the industry. Um, I, there's a good handful or two of breeders out there that I would love to work with. Uh, just it would it would make my day, you know. Uh, I, but really, man, who? I was gonna say, is, uh, who who are some of those heroes? You know, feel free to list some off if you wanted. Well, yeah, I didn't know how that worked. I didn't know if I was allowed to. Yeah, um, of course. Well, there's Brothers Grimm would be a cool one. 
there's what is it called? Um, I for a while I wanted to do something with Moxie. Um, yep. Yeah, I, they're not old old heroes of mine or anything. You know, they're not old like that. But uh, I had respect for what they were doing for some of their concentrates that were coming out. I'm I'm always involved in the concentrate field, so uh, I got a hold of some of their concentrates, and then you know I had kind of had the thought like, man, I'd like to work with them. Um, yeah, so sorry, I was just going to say, for a lot of people who don't know, um, there'll be some people who know that Moxies are a seed seller, and they do pretty good seeds, um, but they also primarily do um, a lot of concentrates over in the States. From what I've heard, it's some of the best. It is. Yeah, it's very good. Um, and so I would really like to work with them. Uh, like old old school, like uh, some Shanty Baba action, I would like... Um, you know, some of the, I don't want to name out some of the larger companies I'd like to work with because it would probably never happen. And then I'd look dumb, but like, it would be work. It would be cool to work with rare dankness. I'm like, it seems like when I'm at the cups, I'm always like near them at the booths and we never talk really or anything, but, uh, I don't know. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the people here, it seems like are, they're real clicked up and, uh, it's hard to get into the clicks. Like if you're not cool with certain crews or something, they don't show you any attention. And I don't go out there putting myself out there to get any attention anyway. So uh, it's kind of hard. Like I don't really talk to that many breeders around. I'm pretty, pretty, uh, I'm pretty much a hermit. I just stay uh, to myself and breed. Yeah. But yeah, there, I would be in heavy respect to work with a lot of people. Uh, I'll just leave it there. Like I could, my list would go on because I love a lot of readers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, just in terms of that clickiness, I mean, even from overseas, I can kind of observe that quite clearly. I was talking to a friend the other day and he lives in LA and he said he couldn't get a, a certain cut that, um, I can't remember which one it was, but I thought it was, it would be pretty easy to get it living in LA. And he echoed the same sentiments, you know, like, Oh no, it's, it's still very clicky as to, you know, who can get what and who'll help you out. I thought that was a bit sad. Yeah. It is. It is because I'm not that way. I I, I want to work with people that are like minded to me. Uh, there's other companies out there that have things that I would like to breed to that, uh, you know, I just don't because I don't know. Some some of the companies are a little too big and they've already got their own. So I don't need to bring any more attention to them. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bite something of theirs. So. But, What's one strain that uh, either you yourself or just, you know, society, the community in general has lost that you really wish you had back and, and why? Oh, that's an easy one. Skunk. Uh, good, good skunk is hard to find. I mean, that was like the original and now it's lost. Like that, it seems outrageous in my mind. I mean, it's not completely lost, uh, but... Um, as far as the mainstream goes, like he, you know, skunks just not really that heard of. Uh, yeah. it needs, it needs to be there more hazes as well. Like hazes need to make a comeback. Skunks need to make a comeback. That's yeah. And so did you ever get a chance to grow the roadkill skunk? Uh, no, no, unfortunately, no, I didn't. Uh, big dream of mine, but 
never happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm always interested in asking people about that one. It's It's got, you know, one of those ones where everyone's interested in it, but there's so little information about it. Well, there's, there's a little old lady that lives down the road from me. And uh, I, I go when I go for walks, I see her sitting out on her porch every morning. And uh, she keeps she keeps the hope alive for me because she, she's got a pretty large greenhouse in her backyard and it reeks of skunk and some high quality skunk. So uh, it's still out there, very slick. I mean, she's a little little old frail gray haired lady, and uh, she's she's keeping the skunk alive over there at least. Growing the killer. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. But Colorado's awesome. I mean, you can walk. Uh, a few blocks on the right day and you'll see four or five people sitting outside in the front yard toking a bowl. Um, it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's, it's not supposed to be that out in the open, but it, it is. If you look, if you keep an eye out. Yeah. And so you mentioned earlier, you were going to pa- um, up your packaging um, and have things like uh, lab percentages on them and stuff. This kind of brings me to two questions. One how do you feel about lab percentages? You know, like, do you feel like uh, a lot of people I've spoken to said that the the industry is very driven by percentages and so it's easy for, you know, them to be inflated just for purposes of wholesale and selling and whatnot. Um, so, you know, one, how do you feel about that? Um, I feel like the industry concentrates on it too much. Uh, I can sit down with anyone that talks about percentages and whip out something that tastes good, smells good, smokes good, and makes them just as happy as any uh, high 20s, you know, that you can pull out. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah. when someone says they've got some 30% weed, what do you think? I, I don't know how I feel about that. That's why I said high 20s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would like to see paperwork, and I would like to do research afterwards to see what that laboratory how their testing methods are and stuff um yeah cool and so i guess when we expect to see your future packaging we're not going to see mid-30s on it or anything like that oh uh if that if i get tested at 30s i'm gonna have to send some more in to get tested again (laughs) uh no yeah I i don't uh i don't see that happening on anybody's near future um but the you know I, I'm, I'm going to post realistic numbers. Uh, I'm going to post an average number. I can't post twenty three point eight seven, you know, um, on the packaging. But I'll post a, a realistic number. I'll do multiple, and I'll probably Instagram uh, picture all the test sheets just you know for the public because that's unfortunately the, the industry is concentrated on numbers. But so I'm going to give them those numbers, but I'm not going to strive to try to shoot for only the highest of high numbers. Uh, I'm going to be ter- uh, testing as well. Um, and so, you know, that's that's my big, my big focus is flavor. Yeah, for sure. So the follow-up to that was, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a few breeders now who have kind of this template for their new strains and it's got a lot of really good info on it. You know, it gives like the number of phenotypes, what you can maybe expect from each phenotype as well as your general flowering times and how much it'll stretch. Would you ever consider giving information like this? I mean, I would assume that based on the work you do, you know, like growing out the strains to test it, you would have a rough idea of, say, the number of phenotypes there are in each cross and what to expect from each. Do you think that 
that information's overkill or you'd maybe be interested in including that in the future? Um, I think in the past, I think that was overkill. A lot of people just wanted quality seeds and wanted to grow it out. Uh, and they needed a rough number of when they might need to harvest it. Uh, because in the past, people did take a lot of pride on, you know, uh, checking uh, trico- uh, trichomes or ty- yeah, trichomes. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm itching a, a mosquito bite from yesterday. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, anyways, people used to check the color of their trichomes and take a lot of pride in when they harvested and knowing that, you know, it was to the day of when they wanted it and stuff. Uh, nowadays, people like to see a number on the package and if it says nine weeks, they've been checking it on their calendar and they're going to harvest it at nine weeks. Uh, so I think that the new information for the new growers and stuff, because uh, there's so many that don't have years of experience and stuff that are gl- growing legally and illegally now. Um, and so they need a little bit of more reference now, I think. Uh, so I think in the future, you'll probably see more of that from me. Yeah. So maybe the dreaded topic for you, um, not for some, feminized seeds. What's your, <laughs> what's your thoughts and will we ever see any from Johnston Genetics? Because I'm sure you've got some killer females that, you know, like people would say that if you put them, you made some S1s, you know, that'd be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, there's, uh, yeah, uh, there's definitely been a lot of talk of it. Um, but if you were to see a feminized come from me, it probably wouldn't be coming directly from me. It would probably come from another breeder that does feminized seeds uh, that I would do a collaboration with. Um, it's not something that I do, and I, I like doing things I feel comfortable with, and uh, feminizing isn't something I do. Uh, so I I used to say, you know, it's polluting the genetics, genetic pool, Um now, like, I understand that it has a place in the industry. Uh, not everyone can, you know, weed out the mills, and not everyone has the skill and stuff. Some people just want the reliability of planting a seed and having bud to smoke. Um, so I, I would be okay with doing a collaboration breeder with someone that knew what they were doing there. Um, but and it, just like autos, like, I've, I might work with a couple auto companies, Um we, it's actually been in discussion, uh, so I may do some work with a couple auto companies this year to, to do a Johnson's Genetics collab uh, on an auto. Yeah, awesome. You're not against it? Yeah. No, I'm not against it, yeah. And um, just in, from your experience, do you know if those autos you were thinking about doing, that's something we've, we often hear spoken about as like, you know, the, the European market is very after autos. Do you find that there's much demand in other parts or it really is just in Europe? Um, it, Europe's obviously the the big breadwinner for the auto market, I think. Um, you know, just in America, uh, house size, yard size and everything is just on average, it's larger. Um, so people have more space and feel more comfortable with, you know, even just growing a, a shorter Indica or something. Uh that's that team tends to be be the real winner around here. Yeah, yeah. But in in Europe, uh, I I do see that that's my biggest uh, request area for autos, and uh, you know you you may see it come from me as a uh, collaboration breeding with another company here in the next 
in the next year or so. Awesome. You mentioned earlier that you are a big fan of the concentrates. How do you feel about kind of this rise in uh, the former old traditions of people like Frenchie Cannoli and just kind of this artisan hash market? How do you feel about that and how it compares to, say, our more modern concentrates like, you know, your, your rosin and your live resin and all these things? Um, I hope that we never lose the old traditions. Uh, it's in fact something I'm going to be working on personally. Uh, I don't want to see the art of good quality hash go away. Um, cause there's going to always like the new market is obviously about all these modern concentrates. Uh, that'll just keep growing and there's always going to be a ton of people wanting to work with that. Um, but I think that if, you know, enough people and the right people get into, bringing more attention to what the old school real high quality hash was. Uh, I think more people will catch on to it again in the future. Uh, it's definitely something I love to smoke. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And so at the end of the day, what would be your favorite form of concentrate? Like, you know, live resin, hash, dry sieve. Wow. Um, wow. The favorite. That's a real tough one because, you know, real good quality live resin or distillate that's made now, uh, some of that can just be amazing. The flavor and, and the high associated with that, just amazing. Um, but it, it sits right there with smoking it, an old, like, uh, you know, a, a temple ball or something, uh, you know, they both are very high on my my scale of respect for the smoke. Um, but th- it's hard to beat a good distillate. <laughs> it's, it, that's, it's an amazing hit. Uh, for those that haven't hit it, it, it tastes outrageous and it, it it's very high potency. Yeah. You know, sometimes over 95% in some cases. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it, it can be high. And that's other people's numbers. I have not, not ever personally tested any form of distillate, but I, just from seeing what other people say, you know. Yep. And so if we were to take a look at your garden right now, what type of lights do we have in there? I'm always interested to know, have you made the conversion to, you know, like your double-ended bulbs, you know, like the, the I hate saying it, but, you know, your Kavitas. Or, you know, do you still more of an old school guy? You got your HID lights or what type of technology um, do you use? LEC. Um, oh, I, nice. I, yeah, light emitting ceramic or some people call it like CMH, uh, ceramic metal halide. And I, yeah. I think there's even another acronym out there for it. But, um, yeah, the 315 watt Philips bulbs, um, they're amazing. I love them. Uh Soon, soon to probably be running double bulb fixtures. Yep. And so, um, you know, you may or may not have an answer to this, but have you heard anything at all? You know, maybe whispers or rumors. What do you think is the next step of growing? You know, have you heard of any maybe major innovations that are maybe coming through the pipeline and we might see them in the near future? You know, like maybe, for example... You know, a few years ago, someone would have said, oh, you know, there's this new lighting technology coming out soon, these double-ended bulbs. Well, um, I think that the things that are going to blow up are things that are already out. Um, I think that 
in the future, the plasma market will get bigger. Uh, I think that it will grow. It's it kind of blew up for a second and then it kind of went away. Um, not that many people are running plasma. Um, but led, I think is the big, that's what a lot of companies are spending the money in to do the research on. Um, and even companies that aren't making grow lights right now, uh, that are doing, you know, just led research. They're, they're making some big steps. Uh, I was working with a company for a while and I may in the future, but we were, working on developing new spectrums, they were asking me, you know, kind of what, what I would like to see. And so we were working on stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of growth in the led market. Yeah. Yeah. But I I would like more attention go into the lec market. I would like to see higher power lecs. Um, there is a company out there that has a 400 watt lec. Um, you can find them on, on the internet, I'm sure. Uh, but it's in that, that bulb is actually made by GE. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, but it's a, it's also the same technology. I'd like to see more into that technology. If people could be running thousand watt LECs in a, in a small grow room or a tent or something, they would have amazing, uh, spectrum and amazing light output. Yeah. Yeah. It would be insane. Um, <laughs> and so, um, on to kind of a bit of a more political-based question. What do you think um, was one or some of the the pitfalls of the American legalization model? Like, what would you have improved if you could have? Um, what about, like, their standing laws that we have in, in office right now and what would I yeah. like to change? Yeah. Um, I think they did very good for coming up with a complete new law system for something that's just been uh, ignored. Uh, There are some small loopholes that need to be covered. Uh, Like, there's a lot of growers here in in Colorado that grow over what they need, uh, you know, for their, they harvest and they trim down and they weigh it. And they say, whoa, I have enough to last me for a year and a half. You know, and they don't need all that product because they're going to be growing again next year. But Colorado doesn't have a system in in order uh, for them to take in their uh, product to be tested. And once it's been tested, maybe go in for approval to be sold back to a dispensary so it can go back out to the you know the the patients. Um, yeah. Little thing, little things like that kind of need to change. Sorry, so are you saying that at the moment in that situation they would just be sitting on a surplus and not really have anything to do with it? All they can do with it is smoke it. <laughs> yeah, okay, oh, yeah. And, and I mean, I guess the, the implication is that it's kind of pushing them maybe towards the black market of selling it under the table because they're just sitting on it. Definitely, yes. I mean, kind of like they say, idle hands, you know. Uh, yeah. When you have something just sitting there and you see it and, and temptations around, uh, there are going to be, you know, percentages of people that will, you know, take that route. Uh, I, you know, I recommend everyone here, in, at least in, in Colorado, where everything's legal, you know, abide by the laws. We're gifted, you know, this this luxury uh, of having all this weight lifted all our, off our shoulders. And it's not hard here to abide by the law. I mean, the law is extremely uh, relaxed, I guess you could say. There's people with crazy plant count numbers that can grow, you know, crazy numbers at home. 
which they shouldn't be. Uh, you know, you can have a, a doctor write you up where you're allowed to buy a, a pound a day. Um, that's what you're allowed. To, yeah. So, and that that's getting rare because they're cracking out on stuff like that. But your average, you know, you, when you sign up, I think you're allowed to buy two ounces any day, every day. Um, so, you know, for a medical card, uh, for recreational, uh, I think it's an ounce a day. Yeah. Still but, a good amount. And that, yeah. So, you, you know, that's a pretty relaxed law. I mean, even if you are a real heavy partier, uh, smoking good Colorado buds, it's hard to smoke an ounce a day with your friends. You can do it, but you can always go back tomorrow and buy another one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So just getting to the last part of the interview now, we're just going to do some kind of short, lighthearted questions. This is one I always love to ask everyone. If you could go back to one place, you know, geographically, at one point in time to get some land race seeds, where would it be and why? Wow. Um, it would have probably been... Uh, a couple thousand years ago, Asia. Um, I would have liked to add some of the early, early stuff. Um, that would. I'm still after some actual, true Asian land race seeds. Uh, anybody out there that's listening? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so yeah, I I'm really after that. So I, I would really like if I could just take even a time period of seeds. That would be you know a couple thousand years ago, old school. Um, yeah, I mean, geez, I've it, never it, thought of that. That would be almost scary to think of what it would be like. Right. Take something with a base foundation, uh, you know, uh, genetic structure of old school back then and hybridize it with something from now. <laughs> be- I was going to say you're going to work it out in a different direction for the next thousand years. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be interesting to see a whole new evolution of the plant. So, what do you think is uh, the worst thing to happen to the cannabis scene in America? Wow. Um, as far as politically? Yeah, or maybe even just in general. You know, maybe, maybe you know, people are, are more, more in it for the money now. You know, that could be maybe one thing. Yeah, that's, I, that's one of the things I don't like seeing now. Uh, it, it is going to be a big money industry uh but there's everybody doesn't have to be focused on that right now you know the money will come uh put in the work and do do what's right for the seed do what's right for the plant and for the grower and for the people everything else will come you know uh like i the the greed that's associated with it and and the clickiness that we talked about earlier all that needs to go away that's not stuff that's associated with people that smoke weed that grow weed that's like new modern day weeds culture. And now that thing, that needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so what is uh, the worst strain in your opinion? <laughs> that's, oh, that's crazy. Well, worst is a, a funny word. Like the worst for me, like, there's like a strain or two out there that when people bring it around, I won't smoke it. So (laughs) if you want to call that the worst, uh, and it's only, it's funny for me because it's great white shark. Uh, it gives me an absolute like panic attack. Every time I smoke it, I get the jitters and I am 
so anxiety filled. Uh, and everyone else around me is just like, wow, this is great smoke. And so <laughs> I pass on that one. So I call it the worst because it just hammers me. I don't know why. There's something about it. I get high anxiety. So it's not because it's bad at all, but for me, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yep. conversely, what's what's the best or your favorite strain? Wow. There's, I have probably a top 10 of strains, but... Let's um, go to top three. Wow, okay. Uh, that would probably be kosher, kosher kush, um, chocolate, and... Wow. That's hard. Because I feel like I'm going in order now. I'm trying to pick, <laughs> pick my number one. Uh, I enjoy a good old school haze. Like, they're getting pretty hard to find. So, like, the old hazes uh, that no one cares to take the time to grow anymore, uh, that would just, in general, that would be a top one also. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What is your kind of growing tip for everyone? What's something where, you know, like most of the time when people contact you and they've got a problem, you, you know, it, it's this or, or just in general, you know, like what's something where people normally are just maybe could improve in some way in terms of growing? Well, there, there'll be like a kind of a three-part answer to that, I guess. Uh, one would be just really be in touch with your plants, spend a lot of time with them, watch them, you know, watch them grow. Uh, especially if you're new at this, that they should be your babies, you know, that you should probably be watching them like uh, probably too often. Um, <laughs> you know, when you start growing out, you want to see, uh, every, every 10 minutes you want to look at them. Um, so I would just say spend a lot of time with them. Uh, number two, Talk to other growers nowadays with with the internet. There's a lot of information to be had, uh, even without asking a question. You can type in something on Google or in any kind of these platforms, and your question's already been answered somewhere along the line. Uh, but there are people to talk to, so that's like a that's the biggest thing you could do to help yourself. Is you know, go to other growers when you're having an issue. Don't just try to take it apart yourself and assume you know what you're going to do to fix an issue um and then like three uh you know bug mitigation you, you don't want bugs of any kind but unless you use good bugs um hunter bugs and you know things like that uh so keep an eye out for bugs and if you have to use something to uh control them there are organic options out there that do a pretty good job. So look into those, like, cause you will be smoking this product or eating or ingesting it in some fashion in the future, I assume. Yep. And so what is your random product endorsement? I, I would say like for an ingredient, like a little tip, uh, look into like insect for ass. Uh, it's, you know, uh, insect dung, uh, I believe that's what it is. <laughs> that's it. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, but it's look into that. It, it's uh, it's got quite a few health benefits to your plant. It's a natural thing that can help uh, the plant in multiple ways. If you if you look it up, uh, insect brass F R A S S for those that don't know, 
Um, yeah, is it like something you mix into your soil or like a top dressing thing or? You could actually do both. Um, but yes, it's, it's something that you would add into the soil. Um, yeah. and that it gets, it, it has, uh, some kind of low numbers of nutrient, uh, but it's stable and it, uh, actually has, uh, I think they could call it chitin. Uh, it's a chemical that's in there that helps the plant in a couple ways of kind of like its immune system. I think uh, yeah. it helps with, yeah, yeah the long uh, sugar uh, polymers. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, a uh, it's good stuff. And that would be like a simple thing I would say to like look into for people, uh, like a little, I guess, additive tip. Yeah. Awesome. So the Emerald Cup this year is looking like it's going to be a really cool event. Um, is there any chance people will be able to catch you there and have anything maybe for sale? Um, they will be able to catch me. I won't have anything for sale. Um, I will probably be running around checking the place out, uh, in the crowd. And then, you know, a couple times, uh, throughout the event, you'll be able to probably catch me at, uh, Ed Rosenthal's booth. Uh, we'll be hanging out there. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be there. That's really cool. Um, so what are you actually with Ed Rosenthal? Yes. Yeah, uh, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, he contacted me here a while back, um, asking if I wanted to come up, be in his upcoming book, <clears throat> which blew my mind. Um, he is definitely one of my heroes, uh, for many, many, many years. Uh, so when he contacted me, I was just ecstatic and honored to be able to have that opportunity. And we did some work. Uh, he'll be featuring the grandma sugar cookies and the granddaddy platinum pertberry cookies. Um, He'll be showcasing both those strains and talking a little bit about us as a company. Um, but we, the originally there was going to be uh, one book, and it was going to be the greatest hits, and I believe it was going to be called the Greatest Hits and Rising Stars uh, edition of the Big Book of Buds series. And that that book got too big. Uh, he added he added too much <laughs> information. Too many pictures. And so it got split into two books. Um, so right now, the Big Book of Buds Greatest Hits is coming out. And here shortly, there will be another book coming out. And I'm not sure of the the title. Well, I have an idea of the title, but I can't release that. Um, <laughs> but that will be coming Super. out soon. I'll be in that one. Fantastic. That's um that's some awesome news to hear, especially, you know, on a personal note, it must be great to be getting some recognition from someone, you know, you look up to. Oh, wow. It it literally there's not words to, that can ex, uh, ex, describe how I felt when at that moment when he contacted me. And then actually uh last year when I was having a booth in the Michigan Cannabis Cup, uh he popped by the booth booth and i was sitting there you know talking with customers we were pretty busy and he walked up and i looked up and i seen him and i i'm never starstruck i've, I've met multiple celebrities and hang out and you know they're just people just like you and me uh but when i saw ed i was starstruck i i didn't know what to say i basically could just answer his questions as, with short answers uh, he asked us to get together for a picture. Uh, we took a picture with the group and, 
uh, we talk, talked a little bit and then he headed out. And after he left, I turned to the rest of my crew and I said, guys, I just met Ed Rosenthal and I, w- I was almost shaking. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you brought up a good point there. Um, your grandma sugar cookies, that's um, a strain that looked like it was kind of in the run for like your kind of your staple. It, it's It's been worked a lot. It's been worked in a few different directions. What is it about the grandma sugar cookies that stood out to you? Um, that's one of the few scenarios where I was looking at the industry and kind of what they wanted. And I was trying to bring something of mine to the table mixed with, you know, an obvious favorite, the cookies at the time. Um, and so, I, you know, I was trying to get something for my customer base that where they could have a cookie option for me is really where that started from. Um, I, I had no idea that it would turn out to be, like like you said, it is, it is pretty much my staple. Um, which is, you know, cool for me because uh, that's actually reminiscent of uh my actual grandmother and her her actual sugar cookies uh uh-huh. that was the that was the whole naming behind that process and and she's long since passed uh which so it's nice to see that strain get a little bit of attention um it, you know it's a kind of a nod to her yeah nice it's really nice and the fact that you then decided to work it out you know we then got the double stuff cookies and the all star cookies was that kind of just a testament to how how like solid of a base that strain was on its own? It was through multitude of feedback that I got from people. People were coming to me saying they they liked it better than the original cookie and that it produced more and different things. So I, you know, I did. I won't be the one to say that, but that gave me an, enough of an. Uh, you know, enough of what I needed to know to keep working with it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. So I think that brings us basically to the end of the interview. Was there any general comments or shout outs you wanted to make? Um, yeah, I'd like to give a shout out mainly number one to my fiance, Kristen, uh, without her, none of this would be possible. Really. Um, she puts up with a lot for me and lets me do basically whatever I want. Um, I, so I definitely want to give a shout out to her. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Adam, uh, my lead grower. Uh, without him, a lot of this also wouldn't be be possible because he handles a lot of stuff when I'm not able to. Uh, um, and then to my mom and pops, uh, without them, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, just uh, sounds like there's always a um, a strong woman behind every breeder. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're always by in one form or another. There's always. That was a great honor. I appreciate it. Awesome. So everyone should keep an eye out for some Johnston genetics, and um, there will be some new releases in the coming year. I'm sure. Yes, there will probably be two drops. Uh, one here in a couple months, and then one towards uh, after the first of the year for sure. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have some new T-shirt designs out, some hat pins and stuff. We're working on more gear. Uh, we've got a lot of requests for gear. So Yeah, um, I was actually going to say, can I get a shirt? <laughs> no, yes, most definitely. Uh, we'll talk in a, in, a minute, in a minute about that. I'll get you. Awesome. All right, well, thanks yeah, so much man, for joining us. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no problem. No, no, I was going to say, and for anyone else, uh, hit me up. I'm 
not stingy with the shirts. We'll say that. So <laughs> awesome. All right, yeah. So again, thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you. A huge thank you to Johnny from Johnston Genetics again. And 420 Australia. Make sure to grab some Johnston Genetics. See you next time.